stand and worship the Lord this morning as we shout Hosanna to our King. Amen. Thank you, worship team, this morning for sharing that with us. Hosanna. The kids and I were talking about that this morning. We were talking about how what Hosanna means. It means save us. Is that your cry this morning? And that's why we come here this morning together at Sunset Hills Baptist to worship the risen King 
who saves us. Welcome to Sunset Hills. We're so glad that you're here this morning with us to worship Jesus. Uh, if you're joining us on our live stream, we're so glad that you are here as well. Uh, we're going to do something just that we haven't done in a while this morning here. I'm just going to ask you guys from wherever you're standing, and if you're at home, you can do this as well. Just turn around and see someone that you know maybe you haven't seen in a long time or haven't said hi to, and just give them one of the old school head nods or, or fist bumps. It's so good to have you house in the, uh, y'all in the house of the Lord this morning. And if you're a guest with us this morning, we are so honored by your presence. And we would want you guys to just stop in the welcome desk on the way out so we can get to know you guys as well. If you're online and you're watching our streaming service, we'd love to get to know you as well. Please leave us a message in the comments. But for now, worship team, why don't you lead us in our next song? See 
for this day we thank you that we can come together and worship your name on this Palm Sunday Lord we thank you for leading us and guiding us may we never forget what you did for us on that cross because you loved us just be with us today and open our hearts to hear your word Lord and we love you in Jesus name amen there is no doubt that if you've been around the Christian church for any length of time, you've heard of the events of the Easter story many, many times. You're probably so familiar with the events of the last week of Jesus that, uh, and, and all that time leading up to, to his resurrection, that you might be able to share those with others. You may not be able to recount them in chronological order, but you can most likely tell someone what took place during that week. You know about his triumphal entry. Just a Sunday, one week before, as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the manner in which he did this was prophesied years earlier in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look. Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is a, a humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's coat, slowly, humbly, he makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the people are lined up on the streets and they were waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna to, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And it was a day where it seemed that the city of David would welcome this king who would finally rescue Israel from the bondage, from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. You know about his different mission, though, because we're on this side of it. 
And you probably know about the visit at the home of Simon the leper, especially if you were here this past week. And last Sunday, we talked about as he visited there with Mary, Martha, and those that were gathered, where Mary would anoint Jesus' head and his feet in an act of worship and prepare him for his burial. You've heard about the day maybe that he cursed a fig tree because it failed to produce fruit. You've heard about how he visits the temple, and he's so filled with anger that what he finds there, he, he's, he's so angry about it, he drives the money changers and others away to cleanse the temple of greed and profit. He's challenged by the religious leaders who are there, and there he makes an elaborate prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the age. Yes, it had been a busy week. And now preparations for the Passover meal takes place. Many times you've heard about the Last Supper. As Jesus was eating with his disciples, he was preparing them for what was to come in the days ahead. And within hours of that preparation, he would begin his journey to the cross. The night was filled with all sorts of personal interactions, laughter and fellowship that was happening between Jesus and his disciples. And they were ranging from the servant act of Jesus himself as the Messiah taking his disciples and washing their feet in that servant act. All 12 of them, even the one that would do so much harm, they had followed him most of their ministry. And now he was preparing them for transformation. He tells them of one's denial and one's betrayal and how that all of his disciples would abandon him. And they didn't want to hear that. And they didn't really believe him. And we know about Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, asking the Father if there was any other way to accomplish what he was sent to do. Please let it be if there's some other method that we can do this. Lord, may it come. He ultimately says, not what I will, but what you will. Praying alone. His soul was overwhelmed, knowing of the weight of sin that he would have to bear. Back and forth later, he would find Peter, James, and John asleep, not once, but twice, three times. And while they were still in the garden, Judas would show up with a temple guard. A crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders to have Jesus arrested. Certainly we know about that. And as Judas would identify Jesus with what, of all things? A kiss. Showing the others who it would be the one who was to be carried off by heavy guard. And then the sham trials begin. First, before the high priest Annas. 
And from Annas' house, Jesus would be taken to Caiaphas, to his palace, where he would be tried on testimony of, by false witnesses. Caiaphas, he, he was so upset about it, he tore his robes as was the custom and condemned Jesus to death for blasphemy. But of course, the Jews, they had no right to execute anyone. So the high priest, uh, as he's sent him over to another place to, to Pilate, he gins up the crowd to the point that they begin to spit on Jesus and blindfold him and striking him over and over and telling, prophesy, tell us who hit you. And the guards led him away and they beat him. All this is happening as Jesus looks and he sees Peter, the one who said he'd never forsake him. As Peter's recognized by a young girl as being one of his disciples, he begins to deny Jesus three times, just as Jesus had told him he would do at the dinner table. At that time, after the third denial, Peter hears the rooster crow twice again, just as Jesus said it would happen. All of this happened on that Thursday and into the wee hours of Friday morning. We certainly know all of this. We, we, we can recount it. We've heard it many, many times. And we also know of the breaking of dawn that it would find Jesus being taken to the Roman governor Pilate under the charge of treason against Rome, where well, while Pilate, he, he questions Jesus, he discovers he's from Galilee, so he sends him away to, to Herod, who is over that area. He sends him to Herod for judgment, and Herod questions him, and here's Jesus, and he doesn't answer. Herod receives no answers. So Herod and the soldiers, they mock him, and they put a splendid robe on him, and they send him back to Pilate. Pilate again questions him, decides to tell the religious leaders that he both, he and Herod, finds Jesus innocent and wants to release him. But the crowds won't have it. The religious leaders won't have it. Unable to do so, he releases the prisoner, instead Barabbas. He then has his soldiers severely beat and scourge Jesus. And then the soldiers take Jesus to Golgotha, also known as Calvary, the place of the skull, there to be crucified. Along the route, Jesus, he's unable to carry the weight of his own cross because he's already been beaten so badly that they force Simon of Serene to pick up the cross and carry it. And by 9 a.m. that morning, Jesus has already endured false accusations, condemnation, mockery, beatings, and abandonment. Now they nail him to a cross. Of all places in between two other criminals. While hanging there for six hours, he struggles to speak. He's able to eke out seven different statements. The first words were, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. 
And then his last words, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. The Gospel of Mark chapter 15 tells us what happens next. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he had died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. What a profound statement. Actually, it was more of an incredible statement. It was a confession. A confession that he makes that goes against the very essence of his own personal belief system and that of his culture, also of his training. It's a statement that goes against what the Jewish leaders decided, even goes against what his own commander-in-chief, Pilate, who had upheld the phony conviction by making the claim that Jesus made about being the Son of God, even goes against him, and if Pilate knew about it, he himself, the centurion, would be arrested for treason. The centurion, he had seen it all. He had watched as Jesus was tried and convicted and executed. He watched as Pilate tried to release Jesus, not once, but twice. He listened as Pilate declared him, I find no fault in this man. And he watched as Pilate brought out a a bowl of water and washed his hands of of what everyone knew was an unjust sentence. He had seen, maybe firsthand, all of the torture that Jesus was put through as he was whipped, tied to a post. Certainly he had seen the evidence, even if he didn't see it firsthand, that now was on the back of Jesus as his flesh had been torn. And the beating that made Jesus unrecognizable. Did he participate in the taunting, in the beating of Jesus? And as they watched, was he watching as they placed the crown of thorns on his head? We don't know. But it was his job to see that the crucifixion would be carried out to perfection. We know that crucifixion was a dirty, rotten business. They were designed to be the most humiliating and degrading of all deaths. Crucifixions were not a job for the squeamish. Centurions had to stand and watch while men died slowly and painfully on their crosses. Ray Van Van der Laan, in an article for Focus on the Family magazine, described the procedures of crucifixion. When they crucified a man, Romans flogged him for them first. And, when they beat the, and they beat the prisoner until his bones were broken and blood covered the ground. Then the prisoner's arms were tied to a crossbar and he was paraded through the streets with a soldier walking out in front, carrying a sign that indicated all their crimes. 
At the place of execution, the prisoner's wrists were nailed to a crossbar. The bar was then lifted and placed on the stake, which was already driven into the ground, and the condemned man's ankles were then nailed to the stake. Prisoners could remain conscious for days, struggling for breath as they hung by the nails in the wrist. And as they hung there, they experienced the pressure on their chest from having their arms suspended above them that robbed them of the ability to inhale. And so they would have to push upward with their legs in order to breathe. But eventually the pain from the nails in the feet became so unbearable that they sagged and hung by their arms. And again... They were unable to breathe. And this would happen over and over again. Sometimes the Roman soldiers would shorten the suffering by breaking the prisoners' legs. With their legs broken, they could no longer support, push up, and breathe. And so they suffocated faster. Because of the stress on their diaphragms, prisoners could talk only in short bursts, which is why, as Jesus hung on the cross, his statements were very short. This centurion, he had had a front seat view of all of this, like others didn't. Certainly he had seen more than his share of crucifixions and even participated and many others that had been handed down by the Romans and at the cross. He was with the soldiers that drove the nails through Jesus' feet and through his hands. He was there as they lifted the crossbar up and dropped it into place and he watched as Jesus' body would do as had been described would sag against the nails that held him in place. But at some time, the centurion had a change of heart. He begins to feel different. There was something about all that he had witnessed that seemed to shake this man. He had watched other men die But no mortal man had ever died like this. He must have been standing very close to the foot of the cross. And he senses something in this dying man that was like any other crucifixion that he had ever witnessed. And it provoked him to say, Surely this man is the Son of God. A change of heart. A confession that took courage to admit. So what happened to the Roman officer? Why would he choose to put himself at risk by making this claim? We have no idea. And perhaps we can speculate on what it would be. Perhaps he he realized the gravity of the crimes that hadn't been perpetrated against Jesus. 
Somewhere along the way, Jesus ceased to appear to him as a common criminal. And as the centurion maybe watched all of this, maybe he came to the conclusion that this, what had happened to Jesus, just wasn't fair. It wasn't right. It should not have happened. It shouldn't have happened to this innocent man, but Jesus was this normal man, and now the centurion seems to know it. Maybe what changed his mind was the way that Jesus interacted and engaged with the religious leaders and the Roman govern, governor, Pilate, standing before them. He never begged for his life. Maybe it was Jesus' words of love from the cross toward the very ones who had placed him there that moved the centurion. Maybe, or could it have been the strange darkness that blanketed the land from noon until three in the afternoon? Maybe on the journey there, Jesus might have had interaction with the soldier as they traveled down the road. Maybe it was when Jesus, hanging on that cross, prayed for forgiveness to the very ones who had done such atrocities to, to himself. Maybe it was when he told the thief that today you will be with me in paradise. Or maybe when the earthquakes rattled the land or the rocks began to split apart or the tombs that began to break open and, and people that were once dead began to, to walk out raised to life. Maybe people ran up to say the tearing of the veil in the temple had happened. Maybe that's what caused the centurion to change his mind. We don't know exactly what it was, but there was something that stirred this man's soul. as he looked up at Jesus' lifeless body and it changed him. You can almost see him, really, standing up looking at that cross, mouth gaping wide open. He wraps his head around his thoughts and the words just come out. Surely, this man, he was the Son of God. It had been just as Jesus had predicted it to be, brutal, broken, bloody. Just as he had prepared his disciples earlier and told them that it would be, he knew what he must endure to pay the price for for the sin of the world, for my sin, and for your sin. It wasn't pretty what he would have to do, but the price had to be paid. Never before or since has there been loss, such loss and gain as it was at this time. The cruelty of the cross became 
good news, not just for the world, but good news for you and for me. The world, personally, you and I, we, we, we have gained the atoning sacrifice of Christ. So as we approach Good Friday and Easter, one of the best ways for a follower to honor what Jesus did is to remember in these days ahead that we slow down and we take time to look at the cross for ourselves, to believe just as the centurion had that surely this is the Son of God and this is what he did for you and for me. And he paid the price to restore, to give us a relationship with Christ with our Heavenly Father. And that's why we do what we do this morning. To remember the atoning sacrifice of Christ and what it cost Him. What it cost the Heavenly Father to do as Jesus commanded His disciples to do. And we've been doing it ever since to remember the sacrifice that he made, breaking his body and spilling the blood. I'm going to invite our deacons to come to the table here just in a moment. As they will come, they will pass out the elements of the Lord's Supper, the communion. And they will bring them to your seats and in those trays will be a cup of juice on top with a little wafer and a cup underneath, two cups. Now I ask you to take that as they pass the trays. Take one out if you're a part of the family of God as a believer. In the meantime, as Lisa will play softly, let's think about the sacrifice that was made.
Father, as we listen to the music, the song, a hymn that we sang the words to, begins, when I survey the wondrous cross, it seems strange to be able to use that adjective with the noun, the cross of being wonderful. Yet, Father, to us who are believers, the cross is wonderful. Because of the cross, our broken relationship with you has been mended. So as we will distribute out the juice and the bread, Father, as we take time in this, this, this worship, we recognize the cost. We recognize the love. And we ourselves sure, say surely as the centurion did, this is the Son of God. So we're thankful. We pray this in the name of Jesus. As they were eating, 
Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And then he broke it into pieces. And he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. As you take the piece of bread and eat it, do so remembering the broken body of Jesus. And the broken body of Jesus broke the power of sin. And it demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and he said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. This thing that we do called communion. It's a reminder of how, G how we're proclaiming that salvation is by the blood of Jesus. Not anything that we can do of ourselves. But it takes the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus that allows us to seek forgiveness and restoration with the fellowship of God. Through this cleansing blood, the power of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. It washes away any stain of sin and shame or disgrace that people may try to attach to it. While on the cross, Jesus was paying the cost for that centurion's sins. And he was paving the way for that centurion to be with his father. But he was also paving the way that we could be with our father. It goes like this, the greatest love of God has ever shown to mankind comes, comes in the form of Jesus Christ who takes on our sin and gives us the ability to be in that right relationship with God. Here's the reality. We're sinners. You're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. And at the foot of the cross, it's the great leveler. It's a place of recognition that we all need grace. All of us are in the need of forgiveness. And what's the answer to that? How do we achieve it? It's through Jesus Christ and in Him alone. He came to be the ransom for us. We were so important to God that He chose to send His Son to take our place. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, it would have been a terrible thing if it was just left there. He said, you do it on your own. You do the best you can, and maybe, just maybe, you will be good enough. But God chose not to leave it there. He says, but the gift of God 
it's through Jesus Christ. For eternal life, it's through Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? There are many people, Father, who had witness many events that Jesus had, had done, miracles that he had performed. Many had heard about the good that he had shared through his ministry. Then, Father, that last week of his life, many had come to witness as he comes into Jerusalem and it's a triumphal entry. But as the week progresses, many continue to witness all that takes place. They, many even participate in all of the bad, the hurt that would cause suffering for our Lord. You know, Father, in all of that, there was one. Others, most likely, but one we know about that history would record in the Gospels of a man who finally recognizes exactly who Jesus was and he proclaims it so father this morning I pray that that is our proclamation that we too also know exactly who Jesus is that he is your son that you sacrificed him he paid the price for our sin. If we do not have that recognition, that proclamation, Father, I pray that today we would be able to admit to ourselves that we're a sinner, to admit to God that I have sinned against you. And, and God, I need you to save me from the power of sin. I want to be saved from eternal damnation. Father, I come before you and I do believe that Jesus is your son and that he died on the cross of Calvary to take my place. And I confess it before you. And I accept Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Father, I pray that each one of us would have been able to pray that prayer. Make that admission. If we can't do it, that during this time as the Holy Spirit speaks, that they would say, yes, I admit my sin. I believe that Jesus did come to pay the price for it. I confess that I need a Savior, and I accept him now. The amazing thing is, Father, of how simple you made it. Costly, but simple. To have that right relationship with you. 
as you look across this congregation, Father, there's one here that needs to take that step toward you, that in the moment they will have the courage, just as it took the centurion courage to speak up, that they will have the courage to come to this altar, to to spend time with you, to pray with me, to pray unto you, and just be obedient. Maybe you're speaking to someone else for something totally different, that they come to this place and they've been seeking and they've been hurting and they've been trying to find answers to problems that they have. And maybe they've been looking in all the wrong places rather than looking at the feet of Jesus. That today, they'll bring it, their burden to you. If you're calling someone to do anything at all during this time of invitation, Father, help them to do it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please stand.
words of this song, Father, are so true. And sometimes simply all we can do is just say thank you. Thank you. We're no longer in darkness. We can walk in the light. And in a moment as we leave this place, Father, help us to continue to be a people that walks in the light, that we appreciate what you did. We appreciate our salvation. We appreciate our relationship so much that just as it did that centurion, it changes us. And we change our community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Maybe may be seated, please. Well, we have a lot of uh, exciting things going on this week in our uh, life of our church. I want to thank everyone for their uh, flexibility. Uh, we were going to have our Easter egg hunt yesterday, but the cold, cold winds and the muddy, muddy and everything else was going on. So we decided just to escape to a different week. This Saturday, we're going to have that egg hunt uh, at uh, 10 o'clock. Uh, volunteer team, if you're out there, we'll see you at 9 o'clock, um, and we so appreciate This is a great opportunity for more kids to get signed up, so please be praying for this. We're going to be sharing the gospel with kids and families this Saturday. Uh, and speaking of that, this Sunday, Easter Sunday, we want to remind everyone there's no life groups. Um, and if you want to, this Sunday, we're going to have a special time before our service, um, about 10 or 15 minutes before, where some folks will be uh, supplying some special music to prepare our hearts for Easter Sunday. Uh, so if you want to come early on Sunday, uh, this Easter Sunday with your family and enjoy that time, uh, you do that. But there are no life groups. Um, we also want to remind everyone that this Wednesday, as a church, um, we want to come together and pray for Easter. Um, as we know, Easter and Christmas are, are, are big um, times where people will are tend, uh, tend to come out to church and, uh, uh, and be with us. So we want to prepare our hearts. Would you join us this Wednesday at 1030 in the morning or 6 at night uh, to pray for our Easter service? Um, our Wednesday prayer uh, time has been headed up by Alvin Jones, who's been leading that group to pray for our church, pray for each other and our community. So if you want to join us, we would love to do this, get a lot of people here to pray this Wednesday at 1030 and then also at 6 p.m. Um, I, think, I think that was the... Uh, kids, we, we do want to remind everyone, the kids next, Wednesday, next Sunday for Easter Sunday, nursery and preschool will be in the main building, and then uh, grades kindergarten through five will be down in the white building, and we'll have signage up for everyone. Pastor Steve. Thank you. If you're wondering where Kelly is this morning, he is homesick. He's been sick all week. I, I think it would be interesting. Uh, hey, Andrew, let's text Kelly and see if he is watching the service today. Uh, text him right quick and see he is yeah. we can I want us to uh, confirm that so text him right quick and we will report back in just a minute okay I, I do want to say that uh, next Sunday is of course Easter and encourage you to invite people to come and be a part of the Easter service now because we don't do life groups on Easter Sunday you tend to many people tend to say well, I got more time to, to stay in bed and sleep, and then what happens with a lot of folks, they end up coming right in at 10 o'clock, okay? And then it's like, okay, you might not be able to find a seat if you do that, all right? So 
That's one of the reasons we're backing up to try to do some music before and to encourage you to get here on time, okay? And on time is about 10.45, 10.50, not, not 10 o'clock. You're late at 10 o'clock. So I encourage you to do that, okay? Uh, so what do we find out? Did we get a text back from him yet? You can't confirm. I should have told him, Kelly, if you're still watching, you better text in a hurry, buddy, in a real hurry. As, we, as I speak and as we sit here, a friend to, <clears throat> a friend of this ministry, a former pastor to the Greystone Baptist Church, a friend of mine that goes back a long ways to Belmont days, Pastor David Clark, who's been pastoring a church out in the Christiana area since leaving the Greystone Church. Pastor David, in just a matter of hours possibly, will enter into his home in heaven. For him, that's a great thing. He's preached about it, proclaimed it. And shortly he'll get to enjoy it. We should pray for his family, for his church family. For his friends that he still has here in the Nolansville community. For years and years, David's wife, Pat, served as the secretary at Nolansville Elementary. So between David and Pat, they've touched this community for many, many years and served it well. So we as the body of Christ at a time like this, we may not have exactly the words to say, but what we can do is pray and ask for the Lord to comfort this family. While he does his work to bring David into his eternal home, would you pray with me, please? Death is painful. But Father, as I stand here thinking about my friend David, thinking about what he has proclaimed from the pulpit of our little white building that Greystone so graciously have shared with us. So many are part of our own church family now. The good that both he and Pat have done in this community. And while he is facing his last hours, possibly only you know, we know that death for him will serve as a passageway into life eternal. And we celebrate that. 
do your work, Father. We're grateful that because of what Jesus did on the cross, that David has, will enter into the kingdom of heaven because of his belief in Jesus. And Father, during this time, I pray for Pat and I pray for their sons. And I pray for the Clark family. I pray for his church family. I pray for our association here with him. I pray for our family that you would just, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, bring that peace that passes understanding. Give them strength. May they feel your presence. May they know that you're walking with them through this valley of the shadow of death. That you'll never forsake them or leave them. That you'll give them exactly what they need at just the right time. As they continue to love David. We ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. I hope you have a good rest of the afternoon. May God bless you this week as we take time during what we call this Holy Week to remember the price that was paid. You're dismissed. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of her pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. Let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.